y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Chats in the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. I'm Melissa, and I'm your host. Today, I'm chatting with Marlo Ivy. She is a actual hog farmer in North Carolina. I met Marlo a couple of years ago on the Gate to Plate tour that was hosted by her, the foundations that she's the executive director of, and that's Feed the Dialogue. Today, because it's Women's History Month, I wanted to spotlight women that are doing amazing things in male-dominated fields. And when you think about farming, you think about male farmers. And so, this is a really great conversation with Marlo, and I hope you really enjoy it. And you know what I need you to do right now? That's right. Start listening. Welcome back to another edition of Chats from the Blog Cabin. Today, I'm joined by someone who has taught me a lot about women at our agriculture period. Um, we met through a gate to plate tour through Feed the Dialogue and Farm Bureau. So, Marlo, why don't you? Are you there, Marlo? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry, you froze off on me for a little bit. Okay. <laughs> so why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Okay. Um, my name is Marlo Ivy and I'm a pig farmer in Wayne County, but I'm also the exec director of Feed the Dialogue NC Foundation, um, which is an agricultural foundation that helps educate people about food and where their food comes from. So I uh, do a little bit of advocating and farming and kind of tying that all together to the consumer. So were you First generation pig farmer. How did you get into pig farming? Um, well, I um, obviously my, my dad's a pig farmer, so I'm a third generation farmer, a second generation pig farmer. Um, my dad and, and his uncle started uh, pig farming about 40 years ago, and then I grew up on a farm um, and farming, but I wouldn't necessarily say I got into ag until about probably honestly about five or six years ago, really, honestly. I mean, I grew up working on farms, but I really wasn't, I wasn't an FFA girl. I didn't do 4-H. Um, I was really big into soccer. So I uh, don't think I really got passionate about agricultural to, to kind of later in life. I kind of felt like everybody, since I grew on a farm, everybody farmed and it was kind of normal until I was later off on life. And I went to college at, at Peace College and I was the only person there um, that really had ever been on a farm. So that's kind of where my, my passions for it began. Wow. So what made you start to become an advocate for the farming community? I think um, basically it, it, it kind of started when my cousin and I started selling pork up and, and down the East Coast. And I started meeting with chefs and consumers. And I realized how much misinformation and disconnect that, that the consumer had from agriculture so my passion became really more about telling my farmer story than it necessarily was about selling a pork shop. 
Um, so that's kind of what led me to feed the dialogue and, and advocating for agriculture. So let's talk about some of the misconceptions for agriculture, because I remember the very first thing that I remember you talking about was hormone free um, when you see it in the grocery store. So let's talk about that. And for animal agriculture, because I think people don't understand that hormones have been illegal in poultry and pork for for 50 years. You know, we, we I can't give my pigs hormones because they don't physically exist. Um, it's kind of like I read a good meme one time that buying pork that says hormone free is kind of like buying you know, water marked wet. I mean, it's, you know, it, it doesn't exist. It, it's not there. Um, but constantly because of marketing and adding these, you know, misleading labels that people are under the, you know, impression that we give steroids to chickens, which that's illegal too, and, and hormones to our hogs. And, and that just, I mean, I, I physically can't give them hormones if I wanted to, because there aren't any. So let's talk about, um, I know I learned a lot from the gate to plate tour about the antibiotics. Because sometimes like if an animal comes down and gets sick, you, you have to give them some kind of medicine. So let's talk about how long it takes for the antibiotics to get out of the system. Because I know a lot of people think that, oh, we're getting drugged up. Well, I mean, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, people don't understand. And to be frank, I mean, antibiotics are expensive. So for, for a farmer, so I, I'm not going to, overuse or overapply antibiotics because they cost money. And and I don't just give hogs antibiotics without a veterinarian prescription, a veterinarian coming out to my farm and, and seeing um, if, if the hogs need an antibiotic. But it's just like your children. Um, if, if my hogs get sick, I'm going to treat them. I, I feel like that's the best animal welfare that I can give as a farmer is to treat my animals um, when they're sick. And, and when we do give them antibiotics, there's a withdrawal period that changes um, between the antibiotics I give them. There's a withdrawal period that they go through before they could ever go to market and be tested um, that they have to be tested on the farm before they leave. And they also get tested at the processing plant. So there's never any antibiotics in your food or in your system. So I feel like when it sees, when you see antibiotic free, that's another huge misconception too, because there's never any antibiotics in your pork ever. Wow. So let's talk about the nuisance lawsuits that happened to come out. Cause I know you got hit with the Smithfield closing some of their plants, right? Uh, for the lawsuits or during COVID? A little bit of both. Let's talk about the lawsuits first. Okay. Um, well, obviously I'm very passionate about those issues um, just because there were so many misconceptions and, and unnecessary lawsuits that were happening to these farmers for following the rules. Um, you know, we were, they were getting sued. I, I didn't get sued personally and I'm not a Smithfield grower, but for my farmers that are Smithfield growers, you know, they're getting sued and, and none of them have done anything wrong. And, and in my opinion, um, those lawsuits. So safe for our nation, you know, we, I don't want to, to get my food somewhere else. I want my food to come from America. And if, if we keep on suing these farmers and, and, you know, people keep on moving, you know, to our farms and closer to their farms and then turn around and suing us. I mean, that's a point of, of national security in, in my eyes and should be of concern for the consumer. 
So why do you think people are suing for the nuisance lawsuits? Because I know some people, like I've seen instances, oh, I know in North Carolina, there were people that moved in after the pig farm was was created and they moved in after and they were able to get money back. Why do you think that they're allowing that to happen? Um, I think it's uh, out-of-state lawyers that see an opportunity for themselves to to get some money um, from these farmers and from these corporations. And people are also under the misconception that, oh, this isn't, you know, this isn't suing the farmer. This is suing Smithfield. Well, the farmer is Smithfield. I mean, they're the ones raising the hogs. And, and the fact of the matter is that these farms are declared a nuisance, then they don't get hogs on their farms. Um, so that that's, that's their livelihood being taken away. And it's not like um, these lawyers were asking for these, instances to be fixed. Um, if, if they really cared about the farmer, you know, all they wanted w was money. And I don't think that is a fair um, way to go about suing somebody for a nuisance problem. And, and what's declared a nuisance? I mean, you know, we drive by, by plants all the time, paper plants that have a smell. And the fact of the matter is it's agriculture, right? I mean, farms <laughs> smell like farms. Um, and, and if you're moving out to rural areas, you know, do your research before you move beside these farms. And, and a lot of people are moving out to rural area and not suing farmers. Um, so I think that has a lot to do with, you know, corporate lawyers coming into town and seeing an opportunity to use a situation for their best benefit. So let's talk about how COVID has made you have to change some of your practices on the farm, because obviously that's a huge thing right now. Um, absolutely. You know, COVID affected everybody. Um, they affected agriculture. Lucky, you know, for me and on a production style level, you know, we already practice biosecurity and social distancing. You know, we, we've been social distancing on a farm for 30 years. I'm, I'm 36 years old, but you know, people don't understand. That's why we have these big biosecurity problems because are not problems, you know, these, these kind of rules in place to protect um, myself and, and my farm employees and the hogs as well. So you have to shower in and shower out for our sow farms and put on coveralls and hairnets. Um, but from a production standpoint, you know, it was really hard for us. Um, luckily for us, we didn't have to depopulate. But when these plants, you know, started going down and, and started having COVID issues, it's not to have hogs. Just um, putting the dogs longer than necessary and feed them different. Um, those are some, some things that we did just to kind of expand the time that they were on the farms because hogs were getting, you know, backed up in the plant. But that's why people were seeing a shortage in, in meat during COVID um, because of these issues on a plant level. You know, it's a big, big balance. Mm -hmm. And we are so sufficient in the United States and we have the healthiest, safest food production system that unfortunately when COVID hit, um, there was a break in that chain. So, you know, we had to pivot, the plants had to pivot and we all had to work together to come up with the best solution um, to get pork into the grocery stores. And, and people were eating at home, you know, the restaurants industry had changed and that also changes in the plants too. You know, we are so sufficient in our, in our food production, these plants, you know, some of these specific plants take milk, for instances. I know people had a lot of questions about farmers having to dump milk, but some of these farmers that were growing for a specific plant or raising milk for a specific plant, those that's the milk that went into the schools. So when schools shut down, you know, these plants who are so used to making milk just for the school systems had to pivot and change and start making milk 
for the grocery stores. And, and that's just not a quick solution. I mean, that takes time to kind of reorganizing your processing. So with your pigs, do you sell them directly to a plant and they go through processing and then they go in the grocery store or do you sell them direct to consumer? Well, um, my, my hogs specifically on, on my farm go to Smithfield. I don't raise hogs for Smithfield. I, I raise hogs for Maxwell Foods and, and soon will be a producer um, for Prestige Farms. But the hogs that you eat of mine will be in your grocery store and they'll get harvested um, at Smithfield here in, in North Carolina. So, okay. and, and that's an important thing too, you know, I think, sorry, to, I didn't mean to cut you off, but, you know, I feel like some people get really hung up on the world local and they need to realize that the, the pork that you're buying in the grocery store in North Carolina most likely came from my farm or another local farmer that gets their, their hogs harvested at Smithfield. So basically, if you're buying pork in, in North Carolina, you're basically buying from a North Carolina farmer. Yes. Now, what do you think about the, those that say that you need to support local farmers by buying direct from the farmer? I think if you can afford to do that, you should absolutely support what you believe in. Um, I think that it's a balance. I think that we need local farmers of all shapes and sizes and that you should buy where you feel most comfortable to buy and that we need each other no matter our farm size. Um, everybody deserves a seat at the table. Everybody is important. So basically you're not leaving anybody out of the equation. It's like, it's okay if you buy direct from that or if you use a middleman like the grocery store. So um, at a farmer's market or, or from the grocery store that your food is safe um, and that those farmers care no matter their farm size. And they're all important. Okay. Let's talk about being a woman in farming. Cause I know that's not something that a lot of women do. I and mean, then you don't see a lot of women farmers more and more. Now you're seeing a lot more women that are actually going back and being farmers. So let's talk about that. Sure. Um, about 30% of uh, the farmers in the United States are women farmers and ranchers. Um, I guess I, I kind of get this question a lot. I, got, I guess my best answer would be, you know, I was raised to be a lady, but work like a man. Um, mm -hmm. So I always feel like, it really doesn't have to deal with the gender um, for me personally. I mean, I'm, I love that I'm a woman in agriculture and I have had some many great women um, mentors of mine. Um, but it's um, it's just like, I guess, if I was a man, you know, I mean, I, th I have the same responsibilities. And my dad always taught me that no matter what, if I was a woman, I could still do any job a man could do. Um, so I, I was lucky to have that kind of support system within my family. So were you ever like when you tell people what you do, like, oh, I'm a I'm a pig farmer. Do they kind of look at you like what? <laughs> yeah, I definitely. I definitely. Yes, ma'am. I definitely get that a lot. Like, well, you don't look like a pig farmer. And I'm like, you know, and, and I think that's an, a, a, a huge problem, too. And misconception that I fight a, a lot is, um, you know, for a long time, even as I read children's books with my children, I have a two year old and a seven year old. And it's always old McDonald had a farm. Right. And it's an old man and his coveralls with a pitchfork. And, um, you know, that's just not the reality of what farmers look like today. You know, we're all different um, shapes and sizes. We're all different races. We're all different genders. Um, so I think it's, it's very important to kind of start normalizing women farmers or, or African-American farmers or, you know, farmers who necessarily don't look like uh, old McDonald mm -hmm. had farm because it's really not who we are anymore. So that's one of the reasons why you um, feed the dialogue was started, though, too, was to raise awareness about there's that farmers come in all different shapes and sizes as well. Right. Absolutely. You know, North Carolina um, 
the, the reason that the Feed the Dialogue is there is to represent all of North Carolina agriculture. Um, your former practices are your choice, whether you're organic, uh, non-organic, modern, um, you know, conventional, unconventional farming. I think the most important topic is just to, to not pick winners and losers. Um, that's a team effort. We're all in this together, no matter what um, crops you raise or what animals you're raising, that everybody needs to be part of the conversation. So let's talk a little bit about what your day is like as a pig farmer. Like, I know a lot of people are like, okay, she's a pig farmer. Does she physically go out and slop the hogs? Because, you know, you see in the movies where people go out and throw stuff to their like leftovers and stuff like that. So let's talk about that. Um, absolutely. Well, today it's been very wet. <laughs> It'd be a lot better um, if it quit raining. We've had about 30 inches in two months. So it's been extremely extremely wet time here in eastern North Carolina. But, you know, I, I, I think my day is uh, pretty standard as any other other farmer. I, I go out to my farm and I, I check my hogs and I make sure their feed is right. And, you know, when it comes to nutrition on my farm, um, a, a pigs in general's life, they eat eight different types of feed through their lifetime. So I'm not um, uh, we work with a nutritionist with a, with a local feed mill that I get my feed from. So it's very important um, it's also very important that they have water constantly. I check that. I check to make sure to make sure the barns are at the right temperature, especially since it's been so cold um, that the fans and heaters are working properly. And I and I assess and have a team meeting with my farm help to say, you know, what what's going on today? What do we need to look at? What do we need to plan for the week? Um, and and obviously, and maintaining the weather and making sure that that we're where we need to be um, for the safety of our hogs and the safety of my people. Now you talk about farm help. How big is your production for your farm? Your production? You, yeah. I, I, I had one um, full-time employee at, at one farm and, and two at another. So um, there's about four of us. So your hands on how many hogs do you normally go through in a cycle? I would say. Um, we, I produce about 60,000 market hogs a year. So I have two, wow. um, two farms, one uh, 16 house farm and then one 10 house farm. Well, so, how long are they normally with you? They're with me about 22 weeks. Um, so our kind of peak time for, for where they go to market is about, um, we kind of want those hogs at about 280. Um, so that's anywhere from, depending on, obviously in the wintertime, they don't grow as fast um, as they do in the summer. And um, so it kind of depends. Actually, cross that. They don't grow as fast in the summer as they do in the winter because um, they're eating more in the winter than they necessarily do in the summer. So it just kind of depends, but they're usually with me um, a max about 22 weeks. So where do you get the pigs from? Because obviously if they're 22 weeks, do you get them as piglets or do you get them as a couple of weeks old? You know, so I get um, nursery pigs that weigh about 50 pounds when they get to my farm. I have two finishing farms. Um, my dad's operation is a sow to farrowing. I mean, a sow to finishing operation where he has the baby pigs, then they go to the nursery and then they go to finishing. But I get the nursery pigs from another farmer where he has raised the hogs. Uh, North Carolina has been a three production step system for a long time, meaning the hogs are born at one farm, then they go to a nursery and then they're finished at my farms. Um, so I get them at about 30. Get them. 
Can you repeat that? Cause you kind of froze up. Oh, sorry. I, I get them at about 50 pounds. They're about 40 to 50 pounds when they get on my farm. And those, those are the nursery, the nursery pigs. And then I raise them. I kind of get the like unruly teenagers. So I get the, uh, I get to raise them until, until they go to harvesting. Um, so now you have a daughter. So let's talk about, cause you've, you've introduced her to pig farming. Cause I've seen a lot on social media where you enter, you take her out and you also have a son, but you take the daughter out to show her about being a pig farmer. So let's talk about some of the impressions that she has now. Um, I mean, I think she loves it. I think it makes her proud. Um, I guess it makes me proud that she says that she wants to be a pig farmer when she grows up. Um, but I also worry about that cause it's, you know, it's hard. Agriculture is hard. Um, the attacks that animal ag, um, especially people that advocate get makes me worried um, how strong she has to be to handle that. So, um, but it's fun. I, I love carrying on the generation. I think that's what farming's about. And most farmers hope um, they get, you know, out of their children. If she wanted to come back to the farm and work, I'd be proud. If she wanted to do something else, that's fine too. I, you know, I want her to do what she's passionate about, but I love having her out there. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's kind of part of who I am and, and what it means to be a farmer. And I think most farmers would agree that watching the, the younger generation kind of like my dad watched me take it over is a, is a proud moment. I mean, but she's seven. I think she really just mostly goes out there to play in the mud and, and give the pigs high fives. And, you know, uh, I think she finds it as her personal jungle gym out there. So. Now let's talk about some of the misconceptions that media has about the hog farms. Cause a lot of people are like, Oh, they're all packed in. They're not they're living a miserable life. They're not happy. They're not healthy. They're, you know, they're just overpacked and they're for production only. So let's talk about that. Sure. Well, I think it's most important for, for people to, to realize that, you know, my family started out raising hogs on the ground and, and we moved our, our pigs indoors because it was better for the environment and better for our hogs specifically. Um, whether you choose to raise your hogs on the ground or in barns is your personal preference. Uh, you know, I think both ways are, are good as long as, you know, you're abiding and caring about animal care. And I think that, that people have seen so many, you know, picture is always worth a thousand words. Um, so I think people just see these pictures and they don't understand what we're doing out there. And, you know, a happy hog is a prosperous hog. So I would never want to do anything to my pigs to make them unhappy or, or not, you know, be the most animal welfare friendly safe environment they can possibly have because at the end of the day, that's my livelihood. So why would I ever do anything to jeopardize that or, or their, their, their health? So I think it's just really understanding um, what we're doing on our farms and why. The average these days is, you know, four or five, generations removed from the farm so they just don't know and it's you know and they take to google and, and they see these activists and and organizations that want to stop animal agriculture and and they get these preconceived notions um that you know we're in here harming our animals and that's just not not the case but also you know farmers have been too busy farming to be advocating. Um, you know, my dad's 65 years old. He's just not going to hop on Facebook and, and do a Facebook live in front of the barn. So I think it's really important for the younger generation. And we're seeing that more and more from younger farmers advocating for agriculture and, and being transparent. You know, I think the consumer wants transparency. And I think that, you know, the more that we start producing food and people care where their food comes from, that we're going to have to start being, you know, more active roles in, in that transparency.
Yeah, that's true. So that's where Feed the Dialogue came in, right? Right. More advocate of that. So let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. How did that first start? Because I know it came through funds through the tobacco industry, right? Um, actually, Feed the Dialogue started in 2010 as an animal ag coalition. Um, it was during that time that they were seeing a lot of miscommunication being spread about the animal agricultural industry. Um, and then about in 2015, they um, kind of reformed and became Feed the Dialogue, which represented all of North Carolina agriculture. And we've noticed even more of a, of a um, I guess, attack from from folks trying to, you know, hurt the the agricultural industry. So they became a 5013C nonprofit. And I was actually have been their first executive director. Um, but basically the, the whole premise of, of this organization is to educate people and ask questions, any question you want about food production, why farmers do what they do, how they do what they do, um, and, and what it takes to, to get food to the table. You know, I feel like the most consumer, they want, they want to know that they have permission to eat. So, um, you know, food's emotional. People get emotional. They make food memories. They eat when they're happy. They eat when they're sad. So it's important for us as farmers to, you know, give them reassurance that we're doing the best that we absolutely can to make sure that they feel safe eating their food. Now, a lot of with Feed the Dialogue has gone to different farms because I know it was on the Gate to Plate tour, which I absolutely love. I, I want another tour so bad. We're waiting for COVID to end so we can start. Unfortunately, when COVID hit, you know, we have two more opportunities where we got some grants to do some farm tours and educational videos. But when COVID hit, that kind of put a stop to it. Um, so we're hoping that in the next, you know, the end of next year and, and maybe 2021-22, we can start doing our farm tours again. I know you actually did kind of went to a farm, which was an African-American owned farm in North Carolina. So let's talk about that. Um, which one, are we talking about Mr. Ronald Simmons? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. He's one of my pasture raised guys in, uh, in, in Kenansville and he does a great job and, and he's a first generation farmer, which I love too, um, that he's able to, you know, just follow his passions and do something outside of the box. So um, he's with master blend pork and um, they make some really, really good pork. So people should go buy it because it's really good. I've had some, um, but he does a great job. And, you know, and I think we have some you know, similarities being minorities in this, you know, me as a, as a female farmer and, and him his, as an African-American farmer. Um, but we have the same goals and passions and we relate on a certain level. Um, our farms look a lot different, but we still have the same struggles. Um, and we, you know, we respect the struggle that it has taken to kind of build um, what we've had to build. So it's, it's been fun. We've also done a, a native American um, farmer beef producer in Robertson County. Um, so it's been fun. And, and I've really tried to highlight, you know, farmers of, of all different, you know, races and, and female farmers and, and people that, you know, outside of the farming community. Yeah. I'm from a farmer from Wayne County where I'm at. That's like, it's super like you're like known all over the state pretty much. And I'm pretty sure you're probably known in other circles as well. So oh. how does that make you feel? <laughs> I'm always humbled by that. I, I'd rather it be somebody else than me. I, I like, you know, part of my job is highlighting farmers too. So um, I kind of like to be in the background, just helping tell somebody else's story, but I'm always honored when people want to talk about ag, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, important, um, to be part of, of this new generation and, and build something together as farmers of all different, you know, genders and, and races and, and just, and, and just normal farmers of all different production sizes to kind of stand together 
and agriculture and not, you know, pick sides and, and, and have a united front. And that's, and that's what I want to keep doing. And um, I'm always humbled when people like you tell me something like that. So thank you. You're welcome. Now you, you just mentioned something when you were talking about the other pig farmer, how um, they have different struggles and do you guys kind of team up together to kind of brainstorm with each other a lot? Um, yeah, we do. I think, you know, we always kind of are on the, you know, calling each other, like, what are you doing with this? Or what are you doing with that? Or especially with all this rain, um, you know, or if a hurricane's coming, we always kind of check on each other just to make sure that, you know, we're, we're doing okay. Um, and I think that goes for the agricultural community in general, because at the end of the day, we're all on the same team. Um, but it's important to kind of build these relationships and kind of step out of, um, you know, your box. Um, cause you know, everybody's form is different and that's okay. So I think it's really important to educate yourself. You know, I'm not an expert in all things. Self to be able to see farmers do something different and maybe, you know, we'll learn from each other in the end and, and be like, Oh, Hey, I didn't think about that. Or yeah, maybe if I did it this way on my farm, it'll work a little bit better. So um, we always just kind of, we're, we're kind of like a, a kind of a, a group that just kind of sticks together for each other. And we'd always be there no matter what. So do you ever think that you will actually sell your pork outright or, or you will, you always do. Um, I think for right now, what works best on my farm will be to raise commodity pork. Um, that's the most lucrative um, because, you know, people don't understand that there is an economic aspect to sustainability. So that's the most sustainable way to um, raise pork on my farm. So that's probably what I'll stick with. But I always root for for people that step out of that box and, you know, <clears throat> do their own brands and and create their own pork like like Master Blends has and has done such a good job at it. Uh, and I know how, how hard that is to be an independent grower because that's how my family started. And my dad still is an independent grower. Um, so I always respect, you know, that way and, and, and respect the fact that you have a right to choose how you want to uh, raise your animals. And at the end of the day, um, you have to do what works best for your farm. And basically you're getting the same product that you would at the grocery store if you're getting it from the farmer. Because a lot of people think that they're not getting the same product. Yeah. And, and, you know, some, some of these, you know, producers do their special um, heritage breeds, which, you know, if that's the, the flavor palette that you like, it's great. It's just like that for beef. Um, so I really just think it's about personal, pre personal preference um, of what the consumer wants. And I think the consumer should have a right to those choices. So did you ever think back when you were growing up that you would ever become a pig farmer, that you would ever follow in your dad's footsteps? Um, no, I don't think I did. I, honestly, I, I really didn't. I, I'd grown up, um, I was kind of a kid when you got in trouble, you had to go feed hogs at five o'clock in the morning. So I'd put my time in and I, I said, I wasn't going to do this and I wasn't, I was going to step out of agriculture, but agriculture slowly, slowly pulled me back in. And, and I'm so glad that I kind of came back and decided to pursue a career in ag and continue my family's legacy. So basically you just, you just do the executive director of Feed the Dialogue and you produce hogs. That's it. Or do you no, have any? That's, that's all the hats I can, and mom and, and mom hat. So those, those are about all the three jobs I can handle at the moment. So how do you juggle being a mom of two little ones? Cause you said that what seven and two and yep. being a pig farmer and your executive director duties as well. Um, it takes a lot of organization and um, I don't get a lot of sleep. 
<laughs> so why do you say you don't get a lot of sleep? To get up at five. Thank goodness he's born into an ag world where that's pretty normal for us farmers to wake up that early. But um, I mean, I think I struggle just like any other working mom. You know, I don't think it's really any difference in agriculture as it would be for a mom who has a, a different type of job. I think it's all about balance. Um, I think it's all about organization. I think you got to kind of find what foot works for for your life and, and for your house. And um, I think it's all about, you know, it takes a village, right? So I got a good family that helps me out a lot. So I'm lucky in that kind of aspect. Plus, I think you can probably, if you're going out to check on your hogs, you can put the kids in the oh, car yeah. and go with they, you. And stay oh, yeah. There. They come with me all the time. Kivit loves to go check. I was in the, uh, take a dropper off of the school bus the other day and I, and I asked her, I was like, what will you always remember about me? And she goes, they used to smell like pigs, mommy. <laughs> <laughs> That's not something you want to hear. But that's that's kind of like, okay, yeah. I thought it was going to be like, you're the best mom ever. It was like, no, that you smell like pigs, mommy. Well, thanks, honey. <laughs> that is so funny. So do you ever think that they'll both grow up to be a pig farmer or do you want them to have something? I want them to do something that they're passionate about. Um, I think that's the most important thing for me. If that happens to be pig farming or agriculture, I'll be super excited about it. But if it happens to be something else. I think it's, I think it's important. I didn't find my passion for agriculture till later in life. And I think that's benefited me immensely um, to step out of that ag bubble and then kind of come back and have a different perspective. Um, I, I feel like, you know, sometimes agriculture, we do a good job of preaching to the choir. Um, so it, I guess I would say that, you know, whatever they're passionate about, I, I'd be happy if they wanted to take over the farm, but if they want to do something else. It's all about being happy in life. Now, is being a pig farmer a 24-hour, 7-day-a-week job? Yes. No vacations whatsoever? Do you have to pay someone to come in and kind of oversee while you're gone? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, my, I'll have really great um, farm help that works on my farm. So I am um, able to take time when I need to, and I, I'm, I'm lucky in that aspect, especially having two young kids. I mean, obviously, um, I have to be some, you know, they're – ball games or homework. So I'm lucky that I have um, a family that helps me out as well. My dad and my brother. And um, I have really good people on my farm that that support me. So in that aspect, but it's definitely 24 seven, seven days of the week, you know, 365 days a year. Wow. So when do you, like you said, you don't sleep, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I try to, I, I do sleep when I'm, I'm real tired, but it's just a busy time right now. But I think like I said, any any working mom would say that about about working full time and raising children. Yeah. And obviously you in virtual schooling as well, because you have a seven year old or is there virtual schooling or are they able to go in person school right now? Uh, and um, I'm lucky that she's being an in school house. But when COVID COVID hit last year, um, she got a lot of, we did a lot of homeschooling on the farm. So she was doing environmental stewardship with me on the farm. She was learning about animal care. Um, it was just, a, we kind of had to do a little pivot change and she was spending a lot more time on, on the farm with me, but she was also, you know, learning um, different aspects of life from the farm. And I think that's really important. And I always encourage other, you know, people with small children to go visit farms, um, meet farmers, talk with farmers and kind of show children where their food comes from. Yeah, but obviously you don't want to go and say, hey, we're here to tour or something. You want to contact the farmer first, right? 
Absolutely. Yes. Do not just show up. Um, that would be trespassing. Um, but there's a lot of people that, you know, in a lot of organizations like Feed the Dialogue and a lot of the commodity groups and Farm Bureau do a lot of farm tours where people can go and, and, and meet farmers and educate themselves and uh, learn about farming. You know, Feed the Dialogue does farm tours, obviously not right now with COVID, but um, hopefully when, when we kind of get past this, this, pandemic and, and difficult time we'll, we'll do some more farm tours now are you guys considered you guys are considered essential workers so you're a vaccine as well yes i have not got the vaccine yet um i'm on the list obviously to get the vaccine i have not received the vaccine yet my father has but he's you know 65 years old and i, I can't remember if that's the actual age um but when i get called i, I will definitely go get my vaccine um, we vaccinate all our hogs the same kind of way. So I, I will be getting the vaccine and the, and the people on my farm will get it as well. Just that extra precaution. Absolutely. Well. Is there anything else that you want to share with us, Marla, especially about the misconceptions about farming? How, how much time do we have? <laughs> what do you want? What specifically do you want to talk about? Um, I think my biggest misconception that I fight in North Carolina is the term factory farm. Um, that's a very negative term. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't engage in conversation when that term is used because that's just a negative condensation, you know, a negative view of what we're doing out here. 98% um, of the farms in the United States are family owned and operated just because I, uh, you know, run a business of my farm is my business is an LLC does not mean that I'm not a family farm. Um, so I would just encourage people to watch that term um, because farmers, quite frankly, find it very offensive. Wow, I never knew that. You're teaching me something else again. <laughs> you didn't know that 98% of the farms in the United States were family owned? Mm -mm. And I didn't know that you, even though it's a factory farm, it's still a family owned farm. I did not know that. I thought it was a corporation. Nope. Um, I, if you ride by my farm, it's going to have Razorback LLC right beside it and it's family owned. So it's a, it's a huge misconception that people think um, and the term factory farm. I mean, I've, I've never seen a factory farm. Uh, you know, we're, we're not factories, we're families. So I think that would be the biggest um, misconception that I deal personally as a, as a pig farmer in North Carolina. Um, that would probably be the hardest one that, that I deal with on a daily basis. Yeah. Cause I know a lot of people think that the, the farms when they're coming from farm, that they're coming from an actual factory, you know, where people are like, they're shoved in these little stalls. Like you see a lot of the dairy farmers, you, they're shoved in the stalls, but they don't see the love and care uh, that they show these cows or show these pigs. Absolutely. I mean, I think the dairy industry deals with that a lot as well. Um, and, and anybody in animal agriculture, I think poultry has that problem as well um, is that people just don't understand, you know, why we do what we do is always, I mean, animal welfare is my biggest um, concern. You know, we're, we're trained in animal welfare. I'm PQS, PQA plus certified. Um, everybody on my farm is certified for port quality assurance. We follow the we care principles that are on the national level. And it's very important. Um, you know, animal care is very important. It's a big deal. You know, these hot, these pigs are my livelihood. And while they're on the farm, they're going to get the up, most best care. I mean, there's a difference between, you know, the animals that we have as home as our pets, but they're not considered any different than the pigs on my farm. They're treated the exact same way. 
So that brings me up to another question because honestly, I don't think I could be a, I could be a farmer, but only to have animals that would be pets. Right. How do you separate yourself from, you know, you grow attached to these animals. You're, you said they're what, 22 weeks that they're with you. You go attached to them. How do you say goodbye to them? How do you separate your feelings out? Um, because I think, and it's just like I teach my daughter and I get asked that question a lot, you know, I think there's a difference between livestock, um, and, you know, pets that we have at our home. Um, you know, God put these animals on earth for us to eat them and that's what their role is. But while they're on my farm, they're going to be treated, um, with the utmost respect. So I think that there's just a difference between, you know, my pets at home and livestock. And that's what I hope to teach my daughter is that it doesn't matter that we, you know, are going to consume these animals. It matters how they're treated on their my farm while they're there. So with tender, loving care, basically. Ab- absolutely. I mean, I care about the welfare. I, I, <laughs> I spend a lot of nights and a lot of mornings and a lot of Saturdays and Sundays making sure that they're happy and healthy and making sure that they are having the best um, care that they can possibly get, the best feed, the best water. Wow. I mean, honestly, I don't think I could actually. She's cutting out. I don't think I could actually raise animals for to know that I'm sending them off to the slaughter. But you have to have that separation for sure. It's like you would go out in the wilderness and go deer hunting or something like that. And you're if you're raising them to consume, it's one thing. But if you're raising them and then you hunt them and then you just leaving them beside like the deer, for instance, if you hunt them. And you leave their bones and everything after you find them for sport. That's not worth it, really. You know. Yeah, I know that that I'm, I'm proud that I produce um, pork that people are eating. And so while they're on my farm, they're gonna. I'm, I'm equally as proud as the work that I put into it. Yeah. So, is there one last thing you want to share before we hop off? You tell you. You're one. You're the one in charge. You tell me. We can talk about anything you want. Um. Let's talk about again about feed the dialogue and how people can contact you when they sure. start doing the tours and stuff like that. Um, absolutely. So we um, have a big social media platform where you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We also have a YouTube page. Um, like I said, everything that we're doing right now is with social distancing in mind. So we're doing a lot of um, social media videos and educational videos and a lot of um, teacher worksheets that we will be providing for teachers during this time, but hopefully in the next um, year or so that we'll be doing those farm tours and we will make those um, kind of aware to some of the public when they start being planned. But right now, everything that we're basically doing is just um, social media, agricultural awareness. And basically the agricultural awareness shows that it maybe what you see on mainstream media is not what is actually happening on the farm. Exactly. Um, cause it's, it's, you know, it's, um, it's our way of life and we care about it. And well, I care about being transparent to the consumer and I want them to ask questions. And some of those questions, like some of the questions you've asked today are tough questions, but you know, it's the reality of, of the business we're in. It's the reality of, of life on the farm. Yeah, that is so true. Well, Marlo, tell us where everybody can find you at on social media. So they can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We also have a YouTube page and you can follow me personally at Marlo underscore NC Ag um, on Instagram and Marlo Ivy on Facebook. But where you would probably get most of your education would be on Feed the Dialogue and you can find them at all three of those, four of those platforms. And we have a website, www.feedthedialoguenc.com. 
and that's scrolling across the bottom right now. Yep. And I, I don't even know how I actually got to meet you, really. Honestly, I think I just started following you because we yep. have a mutual friend, Emily, who was actually in one of the opening credits. And I just started following you. And I actually reached out and said, hey, you know, I'm really interested about doing a forum tour. And you were very gracious and added me on with a group of bloggers that I just kind of got thrown in there. But I, had no, to I was happy to have life. you. Thank you. I mean, you're welcome anytime. And I always love, um, you know, especially bringing bloggers on that, that want to talk about ag to, to come on these farm tours. So thank you for participating. Um, that was a that was a really fun tour. And actually, uh, before COVID hit, I had actually started thinking about launching another blog, which it's it, I still bought the name, but I haven't launched it yet because COVID hit. I was going to actually get in contact with you about this. It was called um, The Writer and the Farmer. Yeah, like Jeff and the farmer, but it's like a play on words and it's like an outsider view on farming life. So basically I would go to these farms and just show them, show the regular everyday person what the farm was actually like instead of, you know, that was my whole deal. But then it, COVID hit and farm tour stopped. <laughs> well, I, when you're ready to start that, I've got plenty of farmers that would love to talk to you. Okay, that's me being good. one of them. I think that's a great idea, and I'd tell you to go for it. Oh, uh, Kristen from Tabletop Media, who is our mutual friend as well, actually told me she said, I love that. Go for it. And then me too. <laughs> let me know if I can ever help you. All right, so Marla, I want to thank you for being on today. And, um, guys, just follow her, she's awesome. She gives Aww. you a lot of education about um, agriculture that you just really need to follow because, especially if you want your children to know more, too. So Marley, I want to thank you for being on. Oh, thank you for having me. Okay, once again, Feed the Dialogue is rolling across the bottom. So, guys, have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you on the next chat from the blog cabin. Bye. Bye. Y'all, I just love Marlo. I just cannot wait until COVID lifts and we can start going on these tours again. Because like I said in the interview, I had actually had idea to launch this thing called The Writer and the Farmer. And I've actually bought the website, had everything set up, everything to go, and then COVID hit and then not able to go. But Marlo is just one of the many female farmers out there working day to day in the dredges, doing things that we need to get done. There are so many amazing females out there. I am really working hard on trying to get another one of my favorite female farmers. You need to go follow them on Instagram, Bravo Steaks. Um, they are amazing. Um, that's where we get all our meat and um, our beef and our pork from. Um, Emily from there is amazing. I'm going to have my one of my very, very good friends, Emily, from Odin Farming Company. She's going to be coming on in our series as well um, to just talk about being on the farm and what it's like for agritourism. So I really hope you really enjoyed this um, conversation with Marlo and learned, got educated a little bit about what a factory farm is because a factory farm isn't actually what everybody thinks it is. Um, and I really thank you so much for being part of the podcast family. Please like, rate, leave a review. I would love for you to give me, send me suggestions of anything you would like to see coming up next. Next month is going to be all about education since we're about the time where colleges are about ready to graduate people. So that's going to be my next um, series. But thank you guys for being part of the podcast family again. And... Start chatting with each other and be blessed. <laughs>